The following program has been furnished and paid for by Auto Pros Radio Show. And KSCV is not responsible for its content or the products or services offered. up the doors the garage is open and here we go the auto pros radio show and now here's robert jody and lynn the auto pros all right welcome back to auto pros radio show i'm robert auto Techronics here with mr jody chesser glad to be here miss lynn beckwith Good morning, y'all. Got a full table here, so give us a call, 281-558-5738. That's 281-558-KSEV. Let's go out and talk to Bob. He was holding on through the break. Bob, you're on Auto Pros Radio Show. Yes, good morning. Great yes, show as usual. Thank you. Thank you sir. Uh, I have some information and a question. Okay. The information pertains to a couple of weeks ago when you discussed what the used engine oil was was used for and what it's used for is it sucked out of the tanks in the uh, different auto parts places that collect used oil and is get or sold to refineries mm-hmm. and, and refineries use it for fuel for their furnace mm-hmm. oh, very cool. so, for heat primarily <clears throat> we used to burn used oil in our shop to heat the shop a long, long time ago. Did you have one of those? Was it yeah. a one of those pot type things, or was it a a, a specific heater for it? It was a specific heater that used yeah. the oil, and yeah. it, and this was several decades ago. We're, oh. we're completely spoiled on natural gas now. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so well, my question, yes, sir. My question is, what do you think of the Chevy six point two engine? Uh, as far as a new one or a pre owned. New one. We just bought a 2023 Tahoe, and it has a 6.2 engine in it. Mm-hmm. That's a nice vehicle. It's a it's a powerhouse. The only thing that I I've seen as a as a claims adjuster doing extended warranty claims, um, we saw quite a bit of cam and lifter issues. Some of the earlier models, uh, you know, and down the road, you know, we're looking at 60 plus thousand miles. Um, they did have a, a bad run on lifters, I think. Uh, whoever made them for GM, they had some defects, so they uh, they did have some under warranty that had some problems. But you know, other than that, you know, it's a pretty good vehicle, really. And like I said, it's a powerful engine. Yeah, I got another quick question for you. Mm-hmm. When when did the engines change from cubic inches to liters? Mid eighties, I think, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah. Do you know the reason? Metric system. Everybody wants to be on the metric system. Remember that big push yeah. back in the 70s and 80s? Yeah. People want to all go to the metric system and yeah. kind of played out a little bit. But definitely on cars, you know, since then, all the bolts and stuff, all the heads are metric, you know. It's all metric sizes yeah. now. In fact, you can always okay. tell a younger technician because he has no idea of uh, cubic uh, inches. No, well, it, it, has no, it has no inches, no half yeah, inch, no, no nine sixteenths, no, no uh, standards. It's, you know? all. <laughs> it's all metric. Yeah, I think there were some cars in the 70s that also used liters, but it wasn't really prevalent, I don't no. think, till the 80s. Yeah, well, a lot of them, the ones that did have it were uh, European cars or Asian cars, usually. Yeah. They were listed as, as liters. The 1970 V8 engine in the Cadillac Eldorado was badged as an 8.2 liter. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, hmm. 8.2. Yeah. I think the Pontiac did that with the Trans Am. Yeah, that was 6.6. Yeah, 6.6 liter, they labeled it as that. Yeah, that's that's what it says when I'm out driving in my 6.6. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love those cars. Well, thank you very much for your information, and um, I hope that answered your question about engine oil. Thank you, Bob. Sir, appreciate the information. Mm -hmm. All right, let's go out and talk to Joe in Kingwood. Joe, you're on Auto Pros Radio. Hey, guys. Yes, sir. Um, I've got a little project that I'm on the tail end of. Um, I bought this 2004 SSR, and it came out of Atlanta, Georgia, but it lived here in Dickinson for years. I think it was flooded. Oh. I've already done an ECM. I've done I've done the uh, fuse block. 
and I've done a lot of stuff to it, and I've replaced the knock sensors mm-hmm. and the EVAP canister, but I can't get this knock sensor code off. Uh, and what, what all did you replace when you replaced them? On the on the knock sensors? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. We did we did both of the sensors and mm-hmm. the wiring harness. Mm-hmm. And because um, I know, uh, like that wiring harness comes up and comes up on the like the driver's side of the intake manifold. There has like a little two wire plug right there. All right. And when you check that, uh, like if you unplug it there and you take an ohm meter and you hook one to one side to ground and then you touch each terminal. I want to say it's supposed to be around 1,200 ohms or something like that. You know, each one should read the same. Okay. You know, start with that and see if, if it's good there. Then you know probably from there toward the engine's good, and it's somewhere back toward the ECM itself. Um, do you know, uh, you said it's a 2006? 2004. Four? Five, three. It's always tough if you suspect a, a flood vehicle. Oh, and man. if it was in Dickinson, it could have even been a saltwater flood, sadly. There's, um, yes, I'm, I'm almost positive. That's why it went to Atlanta to get a clear title. Oh. And, they were, and, and they never could fix it, so it went to auction, and it ended up back over here. You don't know what the code is on the knock sensor that you're getting, do you? Yeah, I, it's blowing both of them, both banks. Uh, 327, 329, something like that. Cause there was it's saying low voltage. Okay, yeah, because they had such an issue with the, the actual wiring harness for those. A lot of people would, yep. some of them would just, they used to wash down the engines, remember? Try to get them mm-hmm. nice and pretty and clean, and those things would they'd wash out a set of knock sensors in a heartbeat. Yeah, because uh, that little well they sat down in would fill up with uh, water. And so and just soap. Yeah, well, on the TSB, what you're supposed to do is when you put the new knock sensor in, you're supposed to take and, silicone and build like a dam around that thing and leave we it did that. and leave it open in the back you know so it can drain out just to try to keep water from getting in there um but you must be somewhere be, brand new. yeah there must be something from the the ecm out because for it to be low voltage because usually the ecm sends out a voltage to it and then it expects the knock sensor like it's usually five volts if i'm not mistaken and then it pulls it down to two and a half so when it's okay. all hooked up, see what your voltage is on it. If it's like way, way low, you know, like uh, like a half a volt or something, somewhere it's being pulled to ground. And um, let me see. Let's go look at something else. But uh, that's when it says low vo- low voltage. That's what's happening. Is something's pulling it down. You know. Okay. And with uh, Do y'all work on this stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But, but when it's a flood vehicle. If we think it's flooded, if we like, if we start pulling something apart and you see corrosion somewhere, man, that's that's the never-ending repair. It is. It's uh, it's like cancer, cancer. in your yeah. system. Yeah. I, mean, I had to replace the entire uh, fuse block. Right, but yeah. what about the wiring harness in between? Well, the, well, I don't know about the wiring harness, but uh, but uh, the fuse block was my major problem because I couldn't get. I had high resistance all the way across that thing. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, from everything you said, I'm worried you're going to be chasing things on this vehicle probably forever. Yeah. Well, this one only pops about every 100 miles, and so I'm able to get it inspected. <laughs> right. But, but I've still got this damn check engine light. Right, but it, the car's driving okay? Driving great. Okay, well, Okay, so good. you can clear the code, and it will stay gone for a, a period of time, like, say, 100 miles yeah. or so. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I'm thinking uh, Robert and Lynn are, you know, kind of on the money right mm-hmm. there looking at something with the harness between the ECM to the knock sensors. You know, if it got flooded, especially if it was some type of salt water or anything, you know, that water, it it get inside that harness and do a lot of different, uh, you know, corrosions and, you know, it, it'll run through there like a right. wick of a candle. So so do this. Go to the rear of the engine. Take that little two-wire connector loose that you were talking about. Okay. Take your own meter and see what is what is the resistance of each sensor. And like I say, they okay. should be very close to each other. Then take, plug it back together, go back to the ECM, unplug the connector at the ECM that they go into, and then check your resistance there. You like go one lead to ground and then check your pin on your ECM and see do you read the same. Should be very close to whatever it is out there at the engine. And if okay, it, I've if, got that. Okay, if it looks the I got same. i shop manuals on okay. it, and so all of, these, all of these pins are identified. Right. So do that. 
And then if, if that all looks good, then what I would do is I would unplug the connector at the engine, unplug the, you know, have your connector loose at the ECM, take your own meter, run one to ground, and then check the pin just to make sure there's no continuity to ground somewhere on the okay. harness itself. All right. You know, I mean, that's, well, you- that would be all the checks I would make first just to make sure you don't have something. Because I was just looking at a uh, – a wiring diagram, the only connection it shows is the one right there at the back of the engine. Then it goes to the ECM. Is that ECM on the driver's front side somewhere? Yeah, it's um, it's it's mounted vertical mm-hmm. on the on the passenger side right up in the front, right in front of the fuse block. All right. So it's not that hard to get to. No, it's no, yeah. no, not that hard. Yeah, so, but the shows no other connections. Like you have that connection at the back of the engine, then it's supposed to be a solid wire all the way back to the PCM. I'm surprised it's running as well as it is. Well, oh, usually when it great. yeah, when it gets a knock sensor code, usually it just kind of disables. It just doesn't look at the knock sensor. It may not give you 100% full timing, just just as a protection thing to keep it from detonating or something, since it can't tell if mm-hmm. it detonates. But it usually doesn't adversely affect the way they run. It, oh. You know, not like it ain't like it's putting it in the limited power or anything like that. But okay, uh, good. But check the check the resistance at that two wire connector first. Then see if you get the same amount of resistance when you go from the ECM pin to ground. You know that'll kind of tell you if the circuit's kind of whole. And then, like I say, I would disconnect it at the the knock sensor back there, and you know, check it one end of the other to ground, just to see if there's any kind of continuity to ground. I mean, it should be zero, it should be nothing. You know, if if it, even if it shows, you know, eight thousand, nine thousand, ten thousand ohms, that's too much. There should be nothing. Right. Okay. Good. One more real quick question. Sure. Y'all. Go ahead. Uh, Two for one. You know, this thing's not just retractable hydraulic top. Yes, sir. Well, the tonneau that comes up to allow the top to go down works, but but I can't get any activity out of the top. It just times out. You know anybody that works on these things? So yeah, I remember I mean, back. I remember back having one at the shop, and this was kind of a challenge to get parts on. And some shops will work on it. Uh, a lot of times, you'll find like an upholstery shop. Yeah, out there they they deal with convertible tops a lot. They're pretty, they're really pretty good at that. Yeah, Joe, that's always out, a good source. Joe, out there near you, uh, try Young's. They're uh, just across the street from Beckwith, actually. And uh, if somebody can do it, I bet, I bet that he can. Donald Young. Yeah, even if there's a par problem, well, I'm connected all over the United States chasing parts on this thing. Right. If they'll just tell me which part's bad. Well then, well then I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, usually if it times out like that, it won't do it. There's a chance if you have a good, capable scan tool, it's gonna have some kind of code in there about it. Well, mine's not showing one, but uh, I guess it's gonna take a more sophisticated mm-hmm. shop than what I've got in my garage. Yeah, I mean, uh, is that uh, is it a full a full blown scan tool that you have, or is it just a little hand code no, reader? Well, it's 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 a little bit better than a <laughs> code reader, you know. I can I can do mail stats and everything on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's gonna need to, you can be able to get body control module codes and stuff like that, and and uh, and and uh, like usually a, a really full blown one too will have uh, bi directional communication where you can like make it open and stuff and see if it can respond to it. And Joe, you're, right. you're in Kingwood, right? Oh, me? Well, I'm in Kima right now. I live in in uh, Morgan's Point up on the bay. That's oh, okay. Kima. Kima. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so probably David's Auto Central would be your closest, closest shop, you know, part of our network. Well, good. In Stafford, I certainly, I, I certainly appreciate all your help, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna check all those connectors. And- yeah, make some checks on it. Give us a call next week. Let us know. You got it, buddy. Thank you. All right, thank you, thank you Joe. I won't be here, but nope. <laughs> we'll be here. We'll be here. We'll be here. Right. We'll be playing in Italy. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna back out here and take a quick break. You're listening to the Auto Pros Radio Show here on 700 KCB The Voice. We'll be right back. Thank you for joining us this weekend on the Auto Pros Radio Show. 
Online, you can find us everywhere on Facebook at Autopros Radio. All of our shows, in case you missed one, and links to Autopros approved repair shops all over town, you can find it at autoprosradio.com. Shops you can trust are just a click away. You can always email us, info at autoprosradio.com, and be sure to tell your friends to tune in Saturday mornings, 10 to noon. Hagen's Automotive is the shop you can count on in the Northwest Houston Cypress area. Steve Hagen's customers are talking about his staff, shop, and reputation. Hagen's customer Chris says, Steve and his talented staff have always gone above and beyond in taking care of his customers. And Jared shares, Hagen's is my go-to place. They always give straight answers and are always honest. Remember, Hagen's Automotive, where quality really counts. 281-379-1700. 281-379-1700. Hagen's Automotive. BG Products, the number one name in preventative maintenance. Carbon buildup in your engine will reduce your fuel economy, cause engine hesitation, rough idle, and excessive oil consumption. BG Products has you covered for all your fluid maintenance services and fuel system cleaning needs. They are so confident in the quality of their product, they back it up with a lifetime protection plan. All of our AutoPro's preferred service centers offer the BG services because they work. Find a list of preferred service centers at autoprosradio.com or go to bgfindashop.com to find a BG service center near you. That's BG Products, the number one name in preventative maintenance. From basic maintenance to the most complex diagnostics, Autotectronics is your choice for high-quality automotive service in Katy. For 38 years, Robert and his crew have tackled the most difficult electrical and drivability problems. So whether you need an oil change, fluid maintenance, or the most up-to-date diagnostic services, Autotectronics is the premier shop in Katy, 281-391-7617. Go visit Autotectronics in Katy. Is your transmission slipping, jerking, or making funny noises? Well, let me recommend the great folks at Gary's Transmission Service. Whether you have a classic car or a late model vehicle, Gary's will diagnose your problem and let you know if it's a transmission problem or something else that makes it feel like a transmission problem. The experts at Gary's Transmissions are trained in today's most complex transmissions for both foreign and domestic. All transmission rebuilds come with a local two-year, 24,000-mile parts and labor warranty, including annual preventive maintenance service at no charge during the warranty period. Quality transmission repairs done right. 281-347-8888. Gary's Transmission Service. Auto Pros Radio. Good morning, Houston. I'm Lynn Beckwith with Beckwith Car Care out in Humble. Across the table from me is Mr. Robert Gruner with Auto Tektronics and Katie. And the Diesel Dynamo Warranty Wizard, Mr. Jody Chesser. Miss Ma'am, glad to be here. We are here to help you with the trials and tribulations of driving a vehicle in this great city of ours. You can call us at 281-558-5738. And we've had somebody hold through the break, I believe. Yep. Let's go talk to Rick out in Cyprus. Rick, you're on Auto Pros Radio. Hey, thanks for taking my call. I, sure. I've always wondered about this. You know, uh, get your fuel injectors clean with the BG stuff and everything. Mm-hmm. But let me ask you a question. Uh, you know, I put in uh, like Lucas or or another brand, Seafoam mm-hmm. uh, or whatever fuel injectors. I just wasting my wasting your money putting that in. Is that what you're saying? Well, you know, what I always tell people is when you put the, the cleaner in the tank, you know, it's kind of like brushing your teeth. But when you go and get an injection service done, it's like going to the dentist and getting them clean. So uh-huh. so I definitely, I still, I, you know, like I always use 44K in mine. Every time I do an oil change, I put a can of 44K, BG 44K in the tank. And, yeah. uh, and then I still do, you know, at 30,000 miles or 15,000 miles, I'll do a, an injection service just to clean them, put a, you know, a a real thorough cleaning on it that's a great analogy it's, it's well, so it, much more thorough and, and it's the air intake yeah. as well that we're yeah, cleaning right and the air intake it's clean too 
but your yeah. your Lucas products, your Seafoam, they're good products. Don't get me wrong. It's just the BG is it's better. It's not as concentrated. It's just a, a stronger, cleaner. You know, it does a better job, and that comes straight out of Dan Butler from BG Products. You know, they've tested all of, all of theirs against uh, you know the Lucas and the Seafoams and all that, and they just make uh-huh. the product better. It's a stronger, much better cleaner. Okay. Well, I was just wondering. I just got to thinking: Am I wasting my six bucks or whatever? You know, every time, mm-hmm. you know, five, six bucks, whatever. Go see, uh, go see Steve Hagen over there at Hagen's Automotive. He can do the BG service on it, and you can, he can also get you a can of forty-four K to put back in the tank later. Yeah, if you're gonna just do something in the tank, do the forty-four K. Okay. Well, yeah, because you're you're gonna have direct injection on that engine, and it builds up a whole lot more carbon mm-hmm. these days, right on top of the. The piston and so forth, so by running the BG Platinum 44K, it's going to help keep that clean. Now, you should use that every 5,000 miles on direct injected engine. And still do the full service every 15,000 miles. Right. Because the full service will will focus on that one. You know, it'll focus on cleaning the carbon on the back of of the valve. You you know, the the only other thing I noticed uh, uh, is it seems like the air filters get dirtier. I've never I've in this car than I than in uh, in my previous vehicles I guess you say it seems like it uh, I don't know it seems like there's more say, trap either trap more dirt or the other ones didn't trap any dirt whatever is this a, a Mazda three or what is this Mazda CX five six a five you say it's a what now it's a CX five yeah it's a great old car oh it's truck okay. yeah, yeah. Well, it could, you know, that could depend on the location where the ram air comes in. Then the quality of the air filter really makes a difference. So if your air filter is getting dirty, you know, it's doing its job. It's keeping that dirt and everything outside of the engine where some other air filters, like I uh, like to call more cost effective, uh, don't do as good of a job. Well, the other thing is that's turbo engine? Uh, no, it's not a turbo. It's not? Because I know turbo engines will get yeah. the filters dirtier quicker because they're just sucking in a whole lot yeah, more air. Yeah, a lot more air is going yeah. through yeah. them. Now, keeping okay. that filter clean is more important than ever. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks. I, I was just, that was the question I had. I've, just, I've been meaning to ask and never asked. So, thank you a lot. All right. You're welcome. Thanks, thanks for the call. Where are we going, Judy? Let's run out to uh, Houston and talk to Nick. Nick, you're on with the Auto Pros. Good morning. Yes. Hello. How are you doing? Love All right. Hill. Thank you, sir. How can we help? Uh, I've got an old 95 Honda Accord. Little two point two liters got hundred forty three thousand on it. Well, it's set up for oh good five six years, and I had to have the uh, tank replaced, the pump and injectors were all rusted out. But mm-hmm. running, it's running great. But my question is, I had the timing belt and and the water pump were replaced right uh, shortly before it's set up like that. So. They don't have a lot of miles on them, but, but they have age on them. Should I get that replaced? You know, on a on a Honda, I'm almost positive that's an interference motor. Most of the they Hondas are. were. And uh, the thing about it is, if that belt does break due to dry rot or something like that, it's going to cause yeah. catastrophic damage. Yeah, that's what I thought. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's cheap insurance to replace I mean, the belt. Our rubber products are better. Mm-hmm. Our belts, our hoses, and everything are better than they used to be. Mm-hmm. So they're not not as bad about cracking. And you can actually take that cover off, but on that one, it kind of tucks underneath the valve cover, so it's not as easy to get the upper cover off and inspect the, the actual timing belt itself and mm-hmm. check it. Grab a hold of it with your hands, twist it around, see if it feels you know like it's getting kind of brittle. You know, something yeah. like that. And you usually look right down at where the cog meets the belt. That's where it'll start to crack right there. Yeah. You know? Once you get that deep, it's almost worth doing, though, isn't it? <laughs> Just about. Is that cover hard to get get off? Um, the, the valve cover? Uh, the uh, the timing belt cover. Well, like I said, the you have to pull the top of the valve, or actually pull the valve cover off, because you'll see a lip on the side of the valve cover. Oh. And it actually overlaps the top of that upper timing cover, where some of the engines don't do that, but Hondas always did that. So not, not as easy to do. Which engine does that have in it? 2.2. Two, two. It's a 2.2 liter. A little VTEC one? VTEC? Or, yeah. No, I don't think it is a VTEC. Doesn't it say VTEC on the valve cover? Uh, if it is? Usually it does. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't no. say that. 
Yeah, because yeah, they made both engines. Yeah, because that one has uh, two balance shafts in it. I'd like. Right. So when you put the belt on, you have to not only time the belt, but you have to make sure and time the balance shafts. And one of those balance shafts uh, actually runs through an oil pump, so you mm-hmm. don't just line up the dots. You have to take a, a bolt loose on the side of the block, and then you take a service bolt, so then you have to make sure you can stick it in a I certain amount. Flat punch. Right. <laughs> You have to, <laughs> That's you have, what I use. Yeah, because uh, that that balance shaft has like a big weight on one side, and you have to make mm-hmm. sure it's in the correct position. And the way you tell is when you take that bolt out, you can stick you can stick it in more than six inches or something like that. And if you can't stick it in, then you rotate that thing one full turn because it's not a direct connection. It runs through a set of gears, so it's only like a one to like a two to one ratio type thing. So yeah. you have to make it to where you know you can stick that punch in there and then line up your dot. Because if you don't. It will vibrate. It will. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well. Not that I've I ever have... done that before. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, it's ba- basically, that makes it a holding tool to hold yep. the balance shaft in place while you get everything else put on. But, okay. yeah, the valve cover is going to have to come off to get that side cover, yeah. upper cover off. Yeah, and it is a little, and if I remember right, on doing those balance shafts, you know, it's like you got to tie one down and then do the other one, and you loosen it, and and it has like that double you take a service bolt, you take one of the valve cover bolts out that you use to hold the little bracket to keep it from moving when you set the timing belt tension. Or And if you look at the, the actual tensioner mm-hmm. on it, there's a there's a threaded hole mm-hmm. in the block itself yep. where you can actually rotate the tensioner up and put a bolt in place and lock it mm-hmm. so you can get the timing belt on and everything, but then take the bolt back, back out. out. Well, yeah. it sounds like you'd have a real cluster if you missed any of those steps. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if you're not yeah. fami- if you're not really familiar with it, let somebody uh, do it. It's two belts yeah. together, so you really have to be careful on what you do. Yeah, I may let somebody who's got more experience. It's not it. a bad job. It's just knowing how to do it, really. Right. What part of town are you in? I'm in northwest Houston, uh, T.C. Jester in uh, the 610 Loop. Yeah. Let me check Steve Hagen over that kind of that direction You're pretty over close, there. Yeah. yeah. Hagen's Automotive. He's he's an excellent technician. What uh, street is he on? It's on uh, Nisha. Over in Cypress, uh, off of Jones Road. Yeah, you want his phone number? Uh, here, let me. Because he'll yeah, be I, very familiar I, with that vehicle. I'm familiar with just about every part of Houston. I deliver car parts for mm-hmm. one of the parts distributors. Oh, there you go. And, uh, yeah, he's pretty close to the 1960 Jones Road area, but it's Nishaw Drive. I yeah. think it's, what do you say, one light or two lights up? He'll be in good hands with Steve. All right, what is the number? 281 379 1700. 1700. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I've had the valve cover off that engine, but, uh, I had to replace those spark plug seals and uh, mm-hmm. getting everything, getting all down the right. Spark. You know, at least let him take a look at it and see if he recommends. You know, hey, yeah, we probably need to go ahead and do the timing belt because you've put a lot into it, being that the vehicle's set for five years. Yeah. You know, so you don't want something catastrophic to happen now when you can prevent it. But he'll definitely yeah. give you a good opinion on that. Yeah, it's it it purrs like a kitten. I mean, it it runs runs oh, yeah. good. Absolutely. And. uh the only thing is, if I got time for another question, uh, sure. Uh, the cooling fan won't come on, and uh, I checked the uh, the switch. The one switch is not hard to get to. It uh, I pulled the wire off of it and put a little paper clip in there, and the fan came on. Mm-hmm. So I went ahead and that that switch was cheap. I think six dollars. I put another switch in it. It still doesn't come on. And I noticed there's some kind of sensor underneath the distributor. Hard to get to. That one was easy to get to. It's hard to get to. I did a little research on it. I've got a manual on that car, and it's some kind of uh, temperature sensor. Right. And they left it unplugged. And the engine runs good with it unplugged. So I went ahead and plugged it up. Engine ran like hell. It mm. uh, it uh, ran rough as hell and, and died. And uh, did a little research on that and uh, Google it. It said that that sensor has something to do with uh, if it's defective, it'll lean out the fuel mixture. And yeah, that, that's probably the temperature sensor for the um, computer. for the computer. But usually, with an unplugged, it should run really rich. 
you know, when it's unplugged, it would because unplugged would make make it think it's real cold. You know. Uh huh. Yeah, and I'm just wondering. As uh, I think I've read where that that has something to do with that cooling fan coming on. And, and it can. I was trying to, for some reason, I can't find what I'm looking for. Well, it'll definitely have an effect on the, the cooling fan operation because that's just a single fan. And you say it won't come on even if you turn the AC on or anything? AC's not working, so I can't uh, Can't really ca- – the, the clutch is not kicking in. Yeah, see here, there's two different two different fan switches that work in conjunction, temperature B and temperature A input. Uh, and then you got a uh, condenser fan relay. Oh, you actually have two radiators. You have, should have two fans in there. Two one fans. Yeah. What's that? I have two fans. Yeah. Fan yeah, one's a condenser and one's a radiator. Mm-hmm. And condenser, I think, is the driver's side, I think, is what, if I remember right. Uh, yes, it is. But you have uh, – because uh, it's controlled radiator. See, it, it has a radiator, a fan control module. Right. That those that those uh, uh, temperature sensors feed back into. So I mean, uh, depending on, I'd have to read the description on how it's supposed to work. But that's uh, basically what you're. Either something may be wrong with the module, but uh, I would definitely. You know, that's another thing that Steve Hagen could do. I mean, he's he's a whiz with electrical stuff. I mean, he knows his, he knows it just as good as I do. Okay, all right. If he can't uh, figure it out, because you got two relays there that work together, so. Which which one were you? You said you jumped one of the switches and they both came on. Is that what you said? I jumped the one that's the that's by the sort of by the firewall at the back of the engine. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, I understand that's a, a, a switch, a fan switch. I jumped it, the fan came on. Uh-huh. I replaced it, and then plugged it back in. The fan still didn't come on. Yeah, because it says here one of them closes at 199, and then one of them closes at 223. So I like that, and that one that closes at a hundred ninety nine. I can't see where that's at. Right off the top, but of that's going to be through all the feedback going through the yeah. cooling fan control module. Yeah, it goes to the control module, and then of course the control module then controls the two relays. Mm-hmm. So if you jump one of them, and both fans come on. No, the condenser fan will not come on. Uh, okay. Well, let me ask you this. When you had it jumped, did you try – that condenser fan wasn't running. Did you try taking like a little hammer or something and tapping on that fan motor? Oh, the condenser fan? Yep. Uh, no, I didn't. Because sometimes if the motor's bad, you know, when you tap on it a little bit, it'll start turning, you know, because mm-hmm. it has a bad contact in there with the brushes and stuff. Yeah, I'd heard that. And then uh, that'll – but if that – if if the condenser – if the conden- you said the condenser fan was not coming on, so – yeah, I see here. So, I mean, I'm just looking at a diagram here trying to see how all this ties together because with that fan module in there, you have to kind of read the description operation of which way, you know, what, what switch does what. But that 199, that one that cuts on at 199 should cut both of them on, you know. and Or if you had if your AC was working, when you turn it on, it should basically turn both fans on. I mean, one's called condenser, one's called radiator, but both of them would cut on when the AC was on. Wouldn't the switch on the AC make it come on even if the clutch isn't working, the, um, the compressor clutch? Or would it know that? It, it may and it may not. I mean, you just have to look at the oper- description and operation of it, you know, how they have it figured to do it, how they have it set to do it. Yeah, I really don't want to drive it until I can at least get that, that coolant fan coming on. Right. Uh, and uh, that or tip. Better drive it fast, Nick. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, you don't want to overheat it, that's for sure. Yeah, I, well, I went ahead and bought uh, that little, uh, that other sensor, that, that the one that's underneath the distributor. Uh-huh. Yeah, $10. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm just, uh, it, it's hard to get to. I don't know if I'm going to have to take the distributor cap off or what. I can't hardly get to it. Right. Uh, but I just wonder, do you think that could be the problem with that thing not coming on? I don't know. I'd have to see where these switches are located, if that's part of it or not. It's possible, though. Yeah. And being it's unplugged, and then you plug it back in, it really runs bad. I'm, I'm, I am I'm, mean, because if it was the temperature sensor for the computer, having it unplugged, I think, would make it run really bad. It should make it run really rich, just the opposite of what you're telling us, you know? I sort of think so, and, mm-hmm. and the check engine light is on. Well, I would start there and see what code it has, you know, to give you kind of an idea what's going on, but... 
Call Steve over there and run it by Steve. I mean, he can fix all that for you. I mean, he's a whiz with all that stuff. All right, I'll, I'll give him a call then. All righty. Uh, thanks a lot. All right, you're welcome. Thanks, Nick. Let's back out here and take our last break. So it's two for one coming up. That's all right. That's right. Give us a call, 281-558-5738. That's 281-558-KSCV. You're listening to the Auto Pros Radio Show. We'll be right back. You don't have to look too far to find an honest, skilled, and friendly auto service center in your area. It's really simple. Just visit autoprosradio.com. All of the Autopros Radio's preferred service centers boast decades of experience and are dedicated to hiring, training, and keeping the most skilled automotive professionals in the industry and have a reputation for outstanding customer service. No matter where you are, go to autoprosradio.com to find a great automotive shop near you. Or check us out on Facebook at Autopros Radio. Whether you're rolling in a daily driver or a DeLorean, David's Auto Central in Stafford can take care of all of your vehicle needs. From preventive maintenance to advanced diagnostic services, you can count on David and his staff to take care of both you and your vehicles. With decades of experience and a commitment to quality, David's Auto Central can handle all of your mechanical repairs, maintenance, fleet, and even customization needs. Learn more at davidsautocentral.com or visit David and his amazing staff at 2526 Fifth Street in Stafford. 281-499-9684. That's 281-499-9684. David's Auto Central. Beckwith Car Care has been servicing the Humble, Atascacita, and surrounding areas for more than 34 years. You don't stay in business that long without providing great customer service and repairs done right the first time. Beckwith has factory trained technicians that know how to diagnose and repair your vehicle. They provide a nationwide three-year, 36,000-mile warranty and free shuttle service to work, home, or play. They can arrange to pick up your vehicle if needed. Visit Beckwith.com and schedule an online appointment to have your vehicle repaired or maintenance services performed. Give them a call, 281-540-2000. That's 281-540-2000. Beckwith's Car Care. For more than 45 years, yep, that's what we said, 45 years. Green and White Automotive has served the spring area as your dealership alternative for quality automotive maintenance and repairs. Family owned and operated, they're small enough to know you and big enough to serve you. Green and White Automotive is at 1020 Spring Cypress Road, just east of Highway 45. Easy to get to and ready to take care of you and your vehicle. That's Green and White Automotive in spring. Give Kent a call at 281-353-7682. 281-353-7682. Greenandwhiteautomotive.com. Welcome back to Auto Pros Radio on AM 700 KSEV, the voice of Texas. I'm Lynn Beckwith with Beckwith's Car Care out in Humble. Across the table from me is Mr. Robert Gruner with Auto Tektronics and Katie. And we have Mr. Jody Chesser, the Diesel Dynamo and Warranty Wizard. We're here to help you with uh, your vehicle questions, with automotive uh, comments and questions. We've had a couple people... Uh, hold on through the break. Shall we go out and talk to Steve in Wharton? Steve, welcome to Auto Pros Radio. Hey, thanks a lot. Yes, sir. I've got a uh, 2015 GMC Sierra, and uh, I'm getting this uh, gasoline odor uh, after I run it. And uh, I noticed when I'm standing outside, not while I'm in the truck, I checked under the hood, and there's no strong odor, nothing wet around the fuel rail. Nothing dripping underneath. And then I go stand by the driver's door, you know, where the filler tank is. Or the, hmm. And yes. uh, I get a little odor there. And I don't remember ever smelling it like that before, you know, hmm. after I drive it. With, with the truck just sitting, it, it doesn't smell. But 
once I drive it and uh, stop for a, a stop sign or whatever, mm-hmm. I, I, it's not a strong odor, but it's a faint odor, you know, but it's enough to get your attention. All right. No, no check engine light on? No. Mm-hmm. It did have issues with the high-pressure fuel pump. That's there in the back of the engine. The high-pressure fuel pump can leak on uh, on some of those engines, and you'll get that fuel odor. May not necessarily see a leak, but you'll after you drive it a bit, you'll get a you'll get an odor on that one. And I'm trying to remember if they actually put a recall on that or not. But that that's one of the common things. If you don't see anything around an injector, more than likely it's going to be with that high pressure pump. Oh, okay. You could also have someone do a um, you could do like a, uh, a evaporative emission system test to see if there's any kind of leaks in it. Now, typically when you have a leak there, you should get a check engine light. But it all depends on, you know, how you drive the vehicle, how much fuel you keep in the tank. Because if you're one of those people that's always on full or always on empty, it may never run the EVAP to where it would set a code. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you would just have to, uh, but, you know, by checking it with a, a evaporative emissions machine where you check for leaks, uh, then you could see if it's, a, you know, the integrity of the system, if it's tight or not, or if it doesn't have a small leak somewhere. Okay. Uh making a note here but you definitely want to get it looked at because you don't yeah. want a fuel leak what, what's that where's the uh closest auto pro shop to me where's wharton it? so you're probably closest to stafford it's going to be uh david dotto central in stafford that wouldn't be too too far from you down in wharton oh that's no problem like how but i would check i would check with the the chevy dealer and uh, okay. just call them up, run the van, because I do show a bulletin. They did show a voluntary emissions recall for the high-pressure fuel pump leakage. So it may be something that could be, if it's under a recall, um, you know, then they would take care of that at no charge to you. Yes, yes. Good deal. Uh, Auto Tektronics and uh, Katie. Yes, sir. Are, are you uh, still at the same location, Ben, for years? Yes, sir. Still there. Okay. All right. All right, y'all. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, okay. Steve. And it's not that long of a drive up from Morton to get to you and Katie well, either. Yes, I, I don't. No, not really. Morton, it's just Morton yeah. down by El Campo. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Where are we going? Let's run out to Paul out on West. Are you in West Side or West Texas, Paul? <laughs> oh, yeah. Actually, around West Timers Hillcroft. All right, sir. How can we help? Um, I've got a 95 Buick. Park Avenue, and uh, I drive with the lights on day and night, and, and I've noticed that the, the headlights don't blink, but the interior lights and the tail lights they kind of have a little tremble to it. It's kind of just just kind of fluttering, just very lightly. I mean, it's hard to notice, but the interior lights and not the dash lights, but just the overhead and the tail lights. Does that mean anything? Usually, it's something to do with the alternator when you see that like that. A little and bit of fluctuation in yeah, current. One, yeah, one way you can find out sometime is, you know, you, you shut the car off, you unplug the connector on the alternator, start it back up, and see if they're steady. Okay. And then if you if you know it's if it's steady, then you know it's something coming, you know, because you got some kind of ripple or something coming out of the alternator. When you say, I, I checked the AC, you know, see if it had any AC output, and mm-hmm. zero. But How are you checking it? Mm-hmm. How are you checking it? I have a little handheld uh, voltmeter thing, mm-hmm. and I put it on the AC portion. Mm-hmm. And it started off a little bit, but it kind of counts down to zero. I guess is that normal? But uh, you're just hooking it across the battery terminals. Or? I'm looking at it um, at the at the alternator. Yeah, I mean when I'm when I'm looking at an AC ripple on a on a scope or something, I'll have it just hooked up at the battery across the battery, and it'll show me the the AC ripple pattern out of there. Yeah, that thing is probably a whole lot more accurate than my handheld. Well, thing. That, that was really. It's a whole lot more expensive too. <laughs> you said it does this while uh, at idle or while you're driving. Uh, I don't watch it when I'm. It's, at I I pull in the mm-hmm. garage. It's dark in there, at daytime or whatever, and I notice it. You know, if you notice it and you you put your foot on the accelerator and raise the RPM up, you know, 1,500 or so, does it still do it or does it stop? That's a good question. I don't know. Because if it stops, then I'd still be saying back to the alternator. Of course, 
you'd always want to make sure that all the battery terminals are good and clean. That, that Make sure that positive side post, if it's got that double cable set up on the positive side post, that's all good and clean. Uh, I, of course, I would always check uh, voltage drop in the ground circuit between the battery and the uh, engine block. Chassis also, that all those have good. You know, with your handheld meter, if you just take and put one lead on like the the uh, negative side of the battery and then take the other lead and put it on the engine block, you know, you should basically be zero. You know, at the most, you'd have point one zero zero zero, like one-tenth. Yeah. I think I actually checked that voltage drop, like you're saying, on the negative side, and I didn't find any problem. And my, my battery terminals are clean. Okay, good. How old is the battery? Now, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, that's another thing. It's about two years old. It's one of those AGM batteries, and I was having problems cranking. I took it to two different locations, and they said it's good. I took it to the place where I got it, took it to another auto part. Oh, yeah, it's good. And I find out it was my starter's problem, and I put a new starter on it and cranked now. But I'm really wondering if that battery kind of, you know, going out, even though they say it's good. Well, those battery cables can have corrosion inside, too, that you can't see. So sometimes there's some resistance there that'll create an issue. Correct. Uh, I have replaced one of them. It did get eaten up back in the days when I used the regular lead-acid battery, not the AGM type. Right. Well, do this. Since you have a voltmeter, and, of course, you want to be on DC, but just before you ever start the car, say in the morning, okay, when it's dead cold, it's been sitting, put your uh, leads across there, positive and negative, and read your battery voltage. It should be 12.66 volts right in that area. 12.66 is the optimal full charge of a battery. And so you want to make sure it's not at 12.3 or something like that because yeah. that's going to tell you that battery is almost dead. Yeah, that I never get the full AGM level of uh, it's, it. Always shows up like eighty percent when you look on the little table. You know how much voltage is putting out. Like you say, when it's cold before right. I start, it. and so it's that's why I suspected that battery when I was having starter problems. So well, starter. I I will say that you know on an older car like that, you know an AGM battery sometimes is not the best thing because they charge at a different rate. Yeah. So when the car was built for a lead-acid battery, and especially way back then, uh, sometimes it just they don't hold up like a lead-acid would just because the the complete different charging rate. You know, I've seen where there's, uh, I think it was on Toyotas or something, where you could buy a setup to where you can make it charge different to support an AGM. But uh, sometimes the voltage is too much for an AGM mm-hmm. on, a, on an older car because most of those would run at like 14.5, 14.8. You know, on those GM models like that. Well, yeah, I please, I please go ahead. Well, I was going to say what Robert mentioned earlier that when you pull in the garage and rev it up a little bit, that'll be a great alternator test too, and maybe start isolating whether or not we're dealing with an alternator or a battery issue. Okay. Well, and you can see that with your voltmeter once you yep. you know get your base um, voltage on your battery, then with the uh, voltmeter hooked up, then start the car. You know, and that voltage should rise up thirteen and a half, fourteen plus volts. And then you could go in there and turn on your air conditioner, your windshield wipers, anything to load it with, you know, high-speed fan. Uh, and, of course, have your lights on and, and then see if that voltage continues to remain high, like charging voltage, or is it going to decrease? Because if you drop down to battery voltage or less, then you're discharging that battery. And yeah. then that leads back to an alternator or possibly a battery cable issue. And then all you would need to do is leave your voltmeter hooked on your negative Take your positive lead and go back to the terminal on your alternator and see yeah. if the voltage reads the same or say it reads 14 and a half and then at the battery it's reading 12.5 then you know you're losing it there in the in the cable connection. Okay. Well, you're all scientists, I'll tell you. <laughs> they they know what they're doing, don't they, Paul? That's yeah. just that's just yeah. a simple charging system test that you can do with a voltmeter. Because at the end of the day, that that voltage has to get charging voltage has to get back to the battery, so that's your source. Yeah. Okay. I'll test all those things that you say. Hey, give yeah. us give us a call back, Paul. Let us know what you find. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good weekend. All right. You too. You're welcome. All right. Yeah, back in those early days, remember when they start started to vary the voltage? Mm-hmm. You know, and they're cutting out the alternators so the batteries can not get so hot. And uh, 
help with fuel economy and save the battery life. But back in the early days, you used to get some flicker, mm-hmm. you know, in the headlights. That was a big complaint when they kind of went to that system. Yeah. And it's gotten better over time, you know, with technology and so forth. But I think he's going to probably find an issue more with his battery. He might. The way it um, sounds than, yeah. than the actual uh, alternator. But you got to test both. When every now and again you find an alternator that intermittently overcharges, and that mm. plays havoc with well, yeah. the current yeah, that you you're receiving, 15, too. I've seen, I've seen uh, alternators charging 19 volts. Oh, that'll do something. And it was driving a transmission crazy. Yeah. And it was setting <laughs> yeah. transmission co- high voltage codes. And what happened was where the alternator set and the power steering pump was leaking, and fluid was just dripping right inside the alternator. No, oh, and all of a sudden, I said, uh, I had a voltmeter on when I'm driving it. And all of a sudden, I saw I got charging voltage, uh, 14 and a half volts, and all of a sudden, it spiked to 19 volts. That alternator Whoa. was on Red Bull. Ooh, it was cooking. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was something else. So, but you always got to start with the basics. You know, the battery, like we've always said, your battery cable connections. Mm-hmm. Make sure they're good, clean, and tight. And and I've had folks that that have went to an auto parts store and they've tested the battery. Oh no, the battery's good. The battery's fine. Mm-hmm. Turns out the battery's not good. There's a yep. l- yeah. Those those battery tests are not as accurate as I wish they were. Well, they can, but it also depends on the person operating the. Right. The, you have to have a little bit of common sense, right? right? Yeah. Back to the old that tool is only as good as the technician running it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've seen where the battery testers are made by Mectronics and and they do a good job, but they'll say marginal. Yeah. And they say recharge, retest, yeah, test, and recharge. Well, you know? and I've seen them with literally almost no cold crank amps left, and the charger will still say, or the tester will still say, "Good recharge." Yeah. It's like this well, is not a good battery. That's I'm the sorry, key. It's just a, not a good battery. If you have cold cranking amps at say seven hundred and fifty, mm-hmm. and it comes back and is testing at four fifty, yeah, five hundred. Well, your battery's you know half shot. Yeah. At that point, now put a load on it. All right. Bring the cold weather in on it. And it, it's yeah. done. So, you know, roughly the rule of thumb, especially down here in the heat and the cold and everything we deal with, you know, about three years on a battery, mm-hmm. um, you know, normal battery. A lot of them, like the AGMs and those, you'll get a little bit longer life out of them. Or if it's under a seat instead of under the hood, mm-hmm. you can probably get an extra year or two out of it. But in general, save yourself a tow bill and replace your battery before it's three years old. Oh, yeah, because I know when I had my diesel, man, that one morning I started, I was like, Man, it didn't sound quite right, you know? Yeah, that's the good part about having two batteries. You know, you can kind of tell sometimes. You, I listen to mine start every day. Oh, yeah. So I know what it sounds like. Yeah. You know, and then you, sometimes you can detect a little bit of a weakness, you know, mm-hmm. when you turn it over, and, and that's going to tell you, hey, get those batteries tested. All right. All right. Well, we're here up against the end of the show. Lynn, thanks for being here. Hey, it's our one-year anniversary. That's right. It was our one-year Woo-hoo! anniversary. We forgot that's about that. That's right. All right. Yes, it was. So uh, it you've, you've been, thanks for everybody calling in. Thanks for everybody supporting us over the year, our sponsors and our callers. So uh, you've been listening to the Auto Pros Radio Show here on 700 KCV The Voice. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Auto Pros Radio Show. Hey, if you need help during the week, go to our website, autoprosradio.com. Or, if you need your car serviced, see all of our recommended preferred service centers in your area. Check out our Facebook page at autoprosradio.com for the latest posts on what's going on in the automotive industry. Share a comment with us and tell your friends about the Auto Pros Radio Show every Saturday, 10 to noon, here on AM700 KSEV, the voice of Texas.